platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Hello everyone, I'm Lily Liu in Beijing, bringing you the first episode of BizTalk for this year. As we look forward to the year of 2024, there is a keen interest in evaluating the prospects of China's economic resurgence. The recent Central Economic Work Conference has set the tone for seeking progress while maintaining stability, emphasizing the need to overcome challenges in order to further promote economic recovery and improvement. To shed light on those new driving forces and opportunities that may emerge in 2024, we have invited three economic experts from diverse fields as well as pioneering innovations in the technology sector to share with us their insights. In anticipation of the year ahead, financial institutions are demonstrating their confidence in China's economy, with international entities such as the Asian Development Bank revising up their 2024 GDP growth forecasts. This reflects a significant vote of confidence in China's economic prospects. Joining us today is Mr. Robin Xing, Chief China Economist at Morgan Stanley. Robin, delighted to have you on the show. Thank you for having me here. Robin, I was hoping that you can help us to better understand the key words from the recent Central Economic Work Conference uh, that indicates where China's economy would be heading in the coming year. Uh, first of all, what do you think are the uh, current challenges that the uh, Chinese economy is facing? And what is your outlook for the economic growth in 2024? Beijing has stepped up its support to the Chinese economy since August, led by um, the fiscal budget expansion by RMB 1 trillion, and also the launch of uh, home easing measures, plus some central local government debt swap program. So looking into 2024, we think underlying nominal GDP growth could improve slightly to 4.7% from a 4.2% sluggish nominal GDP growth this year. That's because we think um, inflation indicators, CPI, PPI, will likely improve with the policy support and the resilient consumption. So that's the key word for 2024, a modest recovery in nominal GDP growth. Okay. Now, uh, we, we're going to decode those keywords and, and some of the challenges that you mentioned earlier, uh, one by one. First of all, let's talk about consumption. So latest figures show that in the first three quarters of 2023, a final consumption expenditure accounted for more than 83% of economic growth. What does that tell us? I think it shows consumption is still the most important driver of the Chinese economy. So that also means rebalancing the economy towards consumption will still be the key step for China to grow sustainably in the next few years. So in the Central Economic Work Conference, I'm glad that uh, the government mentioned the consumption stimulus programs, including a trade-in program for some smart and green product. Um, this type of consumption goods. We think policymakers can also increase their social welfare spending because Chinese households still have one of the highest saving rates among major economies. So if we can reduce the precautionary saving among households with better and more coverage of social welfare, for example, for migrant workers, that could reduce the precautionary saving and unleash some 
consumption potential. So that's also the part we are focusing on for next year. And also, uh, during the uh, recent Central Economic Work Conference, it has suggested uh, for the first time expanding intermediate goods trade. Uh, that is when it mentioned uh, the issue of foreign trade. Why is it important to expand this type of trade? I think it's about to strengthen China's uh, uh, position in the supply chain. Thinking about uh, uh, the entire Asia regions, after the RCEP being approved by many Asian neighboring countries, uh, a few years ago. China is now becoming more like the hub of supply chain. A lot of Chinese firms are going offshore, going to other countries to set their local footprint. But they keep importing the high-value-added components from China. So, for example, a lot of product made in Southeast Asia or Mexico, essentially a lot of these value components are from China. It's just from made in China, to made by Chinese multinational firms offshore. So what, what, what would you say would be, let's say, uh, the key words uh, in terms of the future trends in China? That has been uh, discussed a lot uh, recently. It was also from the Central World Economic World Conference. And from Chinese, it means to establish before breaking. Uh, that indicates that China would not be abandoning its existing growth path while exploring a new growth model. Uh, also, it does indicate that China will be shifting away from its old uh, primary drivers of the economy, for instance, uh, instance, the real estate market, and now looking for new driving forces. So I would... First of all, I want to ask you, what do you think are the new driving uh, growth drivers in, in the Chinese market? You are right. So that word from uh, Central Economic Work Conference is very important. It means that uh, China is trying to find a smoother way of transitioning into more sustainable growth. We think China's long-term growth potential is still respectable. And by doing uh, the right reform, making the right policy mix, China can still reach their um, high income status in next few years. For example, they can do more reform by rebalancing towards consumption. As we mentioned, by reforming their uh, social benefits sector. And China still have a lot of room to unleash the productivity from its public sector. For example, a state-owned enterprise. China can reform these sectors uh, to make it more market-driven, more efficient. Finally, China can rekindle the animal spirit of the private sector. That's very important uh, because private sector innovation is the key driver for the longer-term productivity growth. I do think with the three drivers, that is the SOE reform, rekindling the private sector um, animal spirit, plus reforming these uh, social benefits accounts to rebalance towards consumption, China will be able to find new, very sustainable growth drivers. Thank you very much, Mr. Robin Xing. And that was Mr. Robin Xing, Chief China Economist at Morgan Stanley. Later, we will delve into the smart manufacturing sector Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in.
Figures show that China's manufacturing strength continues to improve. That's driven by new technologies and processes, highlighting its growing competitiveness in international trade. And now let's welcome our second guest of the day, Professor Yang Yang, acting dean of the College of Education Sciences, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Guangzhou, China. Welcome to the show, Dr. Yang. Thank you very much. My pleasure. As we stand at the beginning of a new year, we've been most often learned our lessons from the data from the previous year. So when we look at all the major economic numbers from year 2023, they indicate remarkable performance actually in smart manufacturing. And the Central Economic Work Conference introduced the concept of new quality productivity. Uh, how do you interpret on this concept and what kind of opportunities do you think that this would a leash for our businesses in the new year? Yeah, I think this is a clear trend for uh, the industry to pay particular attention to digitalization. Data is certainly a new productivity, uh, productivity factor for the innovation. Uh, so I believe this uh, indicates that the new uh, productivity factors and also the business models will reform in the way uh, that the digital economy will uh, play the, the driving force to motivate everyone to adapt to the uh, new system. Uh, besides the uh, digitalization process, uh, sustainability uh, for, uh, for the future development is also a key topic. And uh, uh, right now, uh, most of the companies, they are not just concentrated on the uh, current market and the benefits, but they also pay particular attention to the long-term uh, benefits for not just uh, uh, China, but also for the global uh, market. So I think this is a, a, a great improvement on our vision and also strategic plan to uh, uh, develop new technology for good. That's a great point that you just made. Actually, uh, the development of new industrialization, which includes, let's say, the digital economy and artificial intelligence, that will actually give rise to a series of uh, ecosystems. Uh, so from the pers from in your, your perspective, how do you believe that these developments will change our lives? And uh, what sort of new application scenarios do you anticipate uh, you know, in our daily lives? Yeah, this is a very good question. And uh, very interestingly, I just finished a, a national project for the Great Bay Area. Uh, mm -hmm. This uh, the smart city projects covering uh, many cities in the uh, Great Bay Area. And uh, we definitely use uh, data-driven technology and AI solutions to uh, serve our people better and also to uh, solve some potential intentions and the requirements from our uh, people. So I think, uh, uh, especially in Shenzhen and Guangzhou, uh, the government have already implemented many digital technologies to improve the efficiency and uh, the quality and satisfaction of every customer uh, in the city. Uh, for example, the transportation uh, system in Shenzhen and Guangzhou is greatly improved uh, over the last few years, mm -hmm. simply because we can predict the traffic model and also we can predict the behavior of uh, uh, customers and the uh, normal people uh, in a better or accurate way so that we can uh, reuse our resources more uh, effectively and smarter. So in that way, we can serve our people with limited resources and also we can plan for the future uh, in advance. And also, uh, uh, some are calling Shenzhen uh, saying that's China's Silicon Valley. What is your view on that? 
Shenzhen city is about 32 years old. So this is the youngest uh, age in such a big city. Mm -hmm. And also uh, the innovation uh, you just mentioned is the highest uh, among uh, all other cities. You got uh, 94, uh, around 94 patents uh, among uh, 10,000 people. So this is a, a, a very impressive figure uh, uh, showing that uh, Shenzhen uh, local companies and the, the people here are very innovative and they are uh, dedicated to new ideas and uh, open-minded to new business. So this is uh, certainly uh, a driving force for the new econ economics in the future. Mm -hmm. Young technology talents, young entrepreneurs in a very young city, that is. Yeah. Now, uh, yes, let's shift gears to talk about the small and medium-sized enterprises. Actually, those enterprises, they cover almost all sections of the uh, industrial chains. And they rely on openness and, I mean, open access to technology, to markets and to talent. How do you propose aiding private enterprises in integrating into the future industrial systems and how can those businesses, the smaller ones, actually establish their own core competitiveness? Yeah, uh, I think this is a very important question, especially for uh, the companies in the Great Bay Area, because uh, most of the business here uh, are developed by the local people and also they are keen to the open system and uh, a free market that is very important to motivate them to contribute to the national economic growth. I think the key problem uh, or the key requirements from the local people is the uh, fairness and the uh, openness of the uh, of the whole market. Uh, that's actually required the government will pay specific attention uh, to maintain uh, the the fairness uh, in the in the market. Uh, so I think the the smaller or medium sized business they are not uh, 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 want to uh, have some special uh, careness, but they they just want a free market. They can uh, demonstrate their capability. They want a fair. Uh, economic uh, and also environment for them to grow. Uh, I think this is a very uh, healthy ecosystem uh, in the Great Bay Area that everyone is motivated by the uh, fair uh, uh, environment uh, in, in in the local uh, in the local market. So I think this is the key uh, requirements from from those uh, smaller companies. Mm -hmm. And another thing is uh, innovation, because uh, small companies, they, they usually, they are concentrated on the survival. They, they do not have sufficient resource to innovate at this stage. So uh, open technical market is uh, very important to them. They can integrate it, their uh, new technology into a bigger system. And finally, Dr. Yan, uh, let's talk about China's technology firms going global. First of all, what do you think are the key advantages and challenges of them to truly become an internationalized technology firm? Yeah, uh, yeah. from my uh, limited experience, uh, for example, Terminus Group has a, a, a branch in, in Middle East. I think the key advantage for uh, high-tech companies in China is that they our technology and the solutions are far more advanced comparing to our uh, competitors in other countries because mm -hmm. we uh, we have uh, practical a lot and our government are very open-minded that they are willing to try new technology, especially uh, the digital digitalization uh, process uh, is uh, uh, very smooth uh, in uh, many big cities in China. Uh, 
uh, the Chinese culture is quite different from uh, many culture in uh, other countries. Right. So how to uh, uh, understand the culture of other countries and then uh, uh, recruit more talented uh, uh, people from mm -hmm. other countries and work in, as a group, which is a, uh, is a big challenge because uh, th this is the first step and the first lesson every company should learn uh, and then to grow uh, their global market. Greetings, I thank you very much. That's all the question I have, I have for today. Thank you very much. That's Mr. Yang Yang for us. Thank and you. next, we'll shift gears to the evolving landscape of the global economic environment. Stay tuned. Once upon a time, in a land not so very far away, Stories were told of the brave and the bold. The whole court fell silent to hear what the great warrior Mulan might ask for. Of mighty deities and powerful immortals. Immediately, the shimmering skin started to grow before his eyes. Of fated love and love sanctified. In dawn's golden light, Mulan said, Marry me. Of great journeys across fantastical landscapes. So the cat and the mouse climbed on the dog's back and the dog swam across the broad river. In the company of friends and enemies and unimagined beasts. Yeah, <laughs> good to see you. Of ordinary folk with tantalizing stories to tell. Heroes and heroines all. It's incredible. How did you do that? Tales of sad sacrifice and victories snatched from the jaws of defeat. Stories of the wise, the accomplished and the quick of mind. 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favourite podcasts. Let's now move on to the global economy. U.S. GDP is expected to grow at a rate of 2.6% in 2023. So what factors are contributing to this growth? Now we welcome our last, but certainly not least, guest of today, Mr. Hong Hao, Chief Economist at Grow Investment Group. Welcome to the show, Mr. Hong. What effect are high U.S. interest rates and U.S. dollar strength having on emerging markets? The U.S. Uh, economy is a very unique economy in the sense that you know it, it's running a huge trade deficit, but at the same time, the capital account is in a, a huge surplus. You know because of the um, uh, very significant interest rate differential between the U.S. and the foreign countries, for example, between the U.S. and the Japan. Uh, so much of the international capital has been borrowing at a very cheap rate uh, overseas and then uh, reinvesting back to the US. So as a result, you know, you can see uh, in throughout the past uh, one to two years, capital inflow uh, to the US has been, you know, at the record high. Uh, so it's not surprising that the US economy is doing well, you know, because you have the money flow and also the capital flow as well. But I think going forward though, uh, because the, uh, the Fed is uh, lowering interest rate more likely than not in 2024, 
so it would lower or it would narrow the interest rate differential between the U.S. and foreign countries, for example, in China. So then, you know, there's less incentive uh, for capital to flow out of, you know, a certain foreign countries uh, to go into the U.S. to get a higher yield. So as you can see, uh, recently in recent weeks, uh, the Chinese yuan has been appreciating rather strongly from 7.4 to around 7.1. And I think the Japanese yen is showing signs of appreciation as well. So as a result, you know, in 2024, you know, one of the negative uh, factor uh, for the Chinese market, namely uh, the Chinese yuan's uh, depreciation pressure uh, experience in 2023 is going to go away. And more likely than not, the yuan is going to strengthen uh, from uh, its low in 2023 and going into 2024, uh, 2024. So, you know, this uh, interest rate differential and also weakening currency has been, you know, one of the incentives for capital to flow out of the country. And so in the next 12 months, you, you're less likely to see that. And then, you know, in, in this kind of uh, macro environment, China would be more focused on domestic media, uh, domestic monetary policy. Uh, and, you know, China would be able to uh, use uh, monetary policy and also physical policy to support economic growth domestically. Mm -hmm. And speaking of uh, China's uh, monetary and fiscal policies, what kind of tool do you think the PBOC has in its pockets to support that? I think many of us were expecting um, more interest rate kind and triple R cut because China doesn't have uh, inflationary pressure. I think uh, you know China's uh, inflation uh, right now, headline inflation, is slightly negative, right? So it's around zero. So this is an environment that is conducive uh, for. Uh, further monetary easing. In terms of physical policy, um, in the past 12 months, the Chinese physical deficit is about 2.8%. Uh, so in the last quarter, we issue 1 trillion special bonds, special treasury uh, bonds uh, to support economic growth. And much of this 1, one trillion yuan uh, bond is going to uh, be spent in next year. So next year, uh, more likely than not, a physical deficit will be higher uh, than 2023. Uh, and also there are you know, many other ways for the government, the central government to transfer uh, uh, welfare uh, to uh, the uh, Chinese households. So as a result, you know, as you know, physical deficit is going to expand. Monetary easing is going to continue because there's little uh, inflationary pressure. So one shouldn't be one shouldn't be too pessimistic about uh, the Chinese economy in 2024. And more likely than not, you know, we're going to see uh, economic uh, growth target, GDP growth target, set at about five percent. And and we are very capable of attaining that target. Uh, I think in 2023 is about you know five ish, right? Mm -hmm. So for next year. Uh, because uh, exports would be better than 2023. Uh, consumption would be better, you know, if we have physical expansion. Uh, and also investments could be better uh, because the property uh, sector could be improved. Uh, and also the infrastructure investment uh, could expand as well. So, you know, in 2024, you know, because we sort of uh, come out of, emerge out of the uh, cyclical bottom. So one shouldn't be, uh, too pessimistic or you know too given up on the on the expectation that uh, 2024 uh, the Chinese GDP would be growing at about five percent.
So we know that China uh, has been issuing a slew of policies, you know, including the transformation of urban villages, for instance, and the construction of green energy infrastructures. And all, all these policies are supposed to support China on its new development model, uh, the path that China has been exploring o over the years. Um, what do you think this could actually compensate uh, the impact from external factors in year 2024? I think 2023 has, has been a year that has been affected by external factors very severely. Uh, for example, you know, the interest rate differential has been putting pressure on the Chinese yuan. And as a result, you know, the ca capital outflow pressure has been great uh, in the past 12 months. But I think going, going forward, uh, especially in 2024, you know, because of the interest rate differential is narrowing, right? So the incentive for, for capital, you know, leaving the country is substantially less. And also, you know, as you can see, um, the uh, the shanty town reconstruction uh, and also economic housing building uh, would be picking up steam. I think in 2024, uh, PSL can be expanded, physical uh, deficit can be expanded, monetary policy can be cut. So I think as a result, you know, um, one should be expecting a a stronger building activities uh, going into 2024. In 2023, year-on-year uh, -year growth for real estate investment is still minus 10% or more. Uh, so I think in 2024, uh, this sort of uh, negative growth will be stabilizing or even uh, have a flattish uh, uh, sort of growth rate uh, in going into 2024. Thank you very much, Hong Hao, for your profound insights on the outlook of the Chinese economy in 2024. And uh, a big thanks to all of our three guests today as we conclude the first episode of BizTalk of year 2024. It is evident that the China contributes to set the pace for global economic development. And we are standing at the beginning of 2024. The future opportunities and challenges are dynamic and multifaceted. However, it is clear that China will continue to strive for sustainability, high-quality economic growth, addressing challenges with resilience and innovation while seizing opportunities. And that's a big thank you to all of you from all of us at BizTalk. We wish you a prosperous and fruitful year ahead. I'm Lily Liu in Beijing. Bye for now. wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African. How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.